Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connection, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Back to Basics, Reconnecting to the Essence of You. Jason Denon is a motivational speaker and the author of Eight Days Till Sunrise, a true story of survival, rebirth, and discovering my purpose in life. Jason is on a mission to inspire people by sharing his empowering story of how he made a full recovery after a skydiving jump went bad, and it left him literally with a broken body in a coma and with no hopes from the doctors to go back to his old life. Hello, Jason, and welcome to Back to Basics. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. Well, well, you know, I anybody that reads that paragraph and knows that sure why you wrote that book is inspired just by just by that. So I'm excited, uh, although it's obviously not uh, a great thing to go through, and it's uh, such a tragedy. But the fact that you're making so much out of it and and just helping others, you know, in hopeless situations. So I know there's a lot to talk. I always love to learn about our guests, my guests, about you know their their younger years. Tell us a little bit more about, you know, where were you raised and you as a child? And I'm also very curious, uh, usually about the passion. What were you passionate about? Who who was uh, younger Jason like? How was younger Jason like? Sure. So I was born and raised in New Jersey, lived there until I was about 26. My parents are educators. So dad's a middle school teacher, a retired middle school teacher now. And my mom's a, um, taught the, the young grades of first through fourth mm-hmm. and kind of an East coast upbringing. I had four other siblings. So pretty big family. I was the second oldest, mm-hmm. uh, went to college in New Jersey, passionate as a young kid, baseball, sports, things like that. And then I finished college, worked a couple of years and I was like, man, I need to find something more, more open space. Cause in, I growing up in New Jersey is the most densely populated state in, in the country mm-hmm. and not a lot of open space. And, uh, I said, man, I, I, I need to explore something new. And if I don't like it, I could always come back. But, uh, I, I decided to move to Colorado, uh, at oh, the time nice. I was racing triathlons and you would read about Colorado and triathlons in every single magazine. And that was the place to, to train and be. And at the time, Denver was the fastest, second fastest growing city job wise, so I quit my job in New Jersey after uh, about three years um, of working there after college and decided to, to move to Colorado, not knowing anyone and, and seeing if it was for me. And uh, so I've been out here for 22 years and it's been the wow. best decision I ever made. Well, funny because see, that that's usually my back to basic story, right? It's like, well, I pursue a career. I like my job, but then I move just for no reason because so many of us get stuck on thinking we cannot move or we cannot change. So what did you what did you study and what was your job at, at to that point? Yeah, I studied business in college and I, I worked with um, as far as work 401ks and retirement plans for a, um, a Wall Street firm on the East Coast. And uh, they didn't awesome. have any offices in Colorado. So I, I said, I, well, I guess I have to uh, resign and move out there. I couldn't wow. let that stop me. So. 
Well, I love that. I love that. I couldn't let that stop me. I, I think that's a great, uh, great approach to life. And and so were you always, of course, we know it's a giveaway, but it's the premise of the book that that, that you did have a very tragic skydiving. Were you always, I mean, you, you just share you like triathlons and that kind of stuff. Was skydiving like extreme adventure sports, something you always liked? Uh, well, I think I always like challenging myself. I think it, it took a while to work into those types of sports or adventures. Because when I grew up, uh, I, I didn't grow up in a family that that was, you know, a, a family of skydivers or or mountain climbers or anything like that. So I kind of learned that as I went. Really, it it it, it started, I guess, when a friend I was talking to a friend of mine, and she recommended a book that she had read. She actually hiked the whole Appalachian Trail, which is Georgia to Maine, and mm. it was that was kind of my first exposure to someone actually I knew that was going on some sort of adventure. And she uh, she recommended a, a book on on mountain climbing, and I started reading that, and I got finished with that. I was like, "Well, that sounded interesting." So I got another mm. book on mountain climbing, another book on mountain climbing. Kept on reading, and I was like, "Wow, that seems something super challenging, and and maybe something I want to pursue." So it kind of started with triathlon. Uh, and I didn't know anybody who did, did triathlons. I kind of just figured it out. I started buying books and, you know, read about it and figured out how to train. And, you know, back then you would look in the back of a magazine for races because that was before <laughs> kind of the internet era and, and signing up there. And kind of just first time I ever saw another person who did triathlon was the first race I ever did. Oh, so wow. I kind of did that for a couple of years. And I said, well, mountain climbing sounds super interesting and challenging and why don't I try that? So that I, when I moved out to Colorado, I took a two-week course in, in the state of Washington and Canada to learn how to climb and moved here and, and then kind of just jumped into climbing and figuring that out. And eventually that led to, you know, skydiving down the, down the line a year. So it's, I think it's all about testing yourself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think there's a big difference between saying you can do something and actually doing it right everyone likes to say they they can they can accomplish this or that and and that's all good and wonderful but until you actually put yourself to the test is really when you determine whether you can do it or not because I, so I mean skydiving is really you know you see those parachutes in the air and, and they're coming down you're like can i do that or am i composed enough to you know do everything you need to do to deploy your parachute land it safely or would I, you know, just, I guess, freak out and it'll be too, too nerve wracking. So I think that's sort of the, the attraction. Same thing with triathlons. Like, well, can I finish a triathlon? Well, I don't know. I, you, you don't know until you actually put the training in and actually do it. So, yeah, I think it's just challenging myself to see if I'm capable of, of doing something that, that you know, is kind of goal oriented and uh yeah, so I think it's all about the challenge. Yeah, I, lo I love that the concept of testing yourself. I'm a little bit like that myself. So actually, I have parachute in, uh, in my bucket list. Of course, I probably, if I read your book, I'm, I'm probably not going to do it. But I did jump out of the tallest tower in New Zealand, which was 600 feet. So it's uh, it's quite high. But uh, yeah, I do have the love for thrill for thrills and for testing myself. So, but then, you know, it's obviously you, you push yourself, you test yourself, you know, there's some danger in what, what you're testing yourself about. Then one day came and, and you made the jump and I want to move faster than I do in other episodes uh, into this particular experience, because we're here to talk about the book and about the, sure. you know, how you're inspiring others through obviously probably one of the most difficult trying times of your life. So tell sure. us a little bit about that that day that that changed uh, the course of your life. Fortunately, yeah. So so by that time I had been skydiving for a couple of years. So I was an experienced skydiver and so I had a couple hundred jumps under my belt. 
on that day was the third jump of the particular day. So I'm coming in for a landing, about to land on a field I landed on hundreds of times before, you know, grass field. And then I'm about 150 feet off the ground and a huge wind comes off the mountains and picks me up and slams me forward. So I'm jostled and I've never been hit by a wind that hard before from mm. behind. So it was, it was kind of disorienting at first. And then you kind of, you know, try to relax and, and figure out what you're going to do. So when you're at 150 feet off the ground, you really can't turn because turning the way a parachute turns is you pull one side, it collapses a little bit, the parachute, and then your parachute dives towards the ground. And then that creates a turn. Now, if you're 2,000 feet above the ground and you lose 200 feet, no big deal. You're way above the ground. But when you're at 150 feet and you try to do that, you will dive directly in the mm. ground and you're going to die. Mm. So as that wind blew me, I all of a sudden see the, the grass below my feet, but there's a building and a, and a, and a, um, a fence in front of me, a, a cattle fence, like wire mm. fence. Mm. So because of the increased speed from the wind behind me, I was, I was, I was like, well, I'm not sure hundred percent if I'm going to land before that fence onto the, mm -hmm. onto the field and I'll be okay. Or this wind pushed me too hard and I'm going to hit this fence and hit this airplane hangar, which is, you know, big metal building. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a big row of these metal buildings and uh, you have about five seconds from 150 feet off the ground. So you're counting down. So it's really quick. Five seconds goes, you know, pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And because I couldn't turn away from these buildings or fence, because that would have meant I would have dove directly into the ground and, and it wouldn't have survived. I basically just had to take a deep breath and say, whatever is going to happen is going to happen. I, I may land before this fence. I may not. And you're kind of counting down those five seconds. And then with about a second left, I said, there's no way I'm landing before this fence. I'm about to hit it. Mm -hmm. And uh, you're just like, well, life's about to change. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I hit the fence. It comes tight around my chest and my abdomen. It breaks almost immediately. I'm hit because uh, I'm going 25, 30 miles an hour with that increased speed from the wind behind. The airplane hangar is about 10 feet behind that fence. So it's like hit the fence, breaks through. Almost immediately, I hit the metal building and I black out from all the injuries. Uh, essentially, what happened was the main injury I hit so hard on my left side, 10 of my 12 ribs break. It impacts my heart and my heart shoots from the left side of my chest to the right side of my chest. Mm. And then it's 20 broken bones, three other organs are broken and need to be fixed. But I'm laying on that ground. First person that comes up to me, and mind you, I'm blacked out. I hit so hard, my body just shut down. They're trying to check on me. And I say, when they ask, how am I doing? I say, uh, I was like, don't call anyone. I'll be okay. Just give me a minute. Mm. That was completely blacked out. That was the default setting that came out of my mouth. Because anytime wow. you're hurt, you want to be okay, right? Yeah, so you yeah. want to be able to stand up. Because if you stand up, then, you know, yeah. it's not that bad. There's yes. no way I'm standing up. And I didn't stand mm -hmm. up for another three months after that. Mm -hmm. But it was like my body was defaulted into fight mode. It's kind of mm -hmm. that fight or flight mode. Mm -hmm. wasn't sure what was wrong, but I had been through battles in my life in the mountains and all these other things in life uh, situations where survival wasn't assured. And, and my body just knew how to kick in and, and start fighting. And that's what it did to survive. They called a flight for life helicopter. Mm. Helicopter me down 50 miles to the nearest level one trauma center that takes care of the kind of the worst of the worst accidents. They moved my heart from the right side back to the left side. Doctors were later said in my family, they couldn't believe I survived because that's the first time they had ever performed that surgery on anyone. And they always deal with the worst of the worst type accidents. So they have you know experience wow. with these types of things because they say, People with injuries like he has don't survive it to make it in the hospital, let alone the surgery. They said, you know, he, he should have never made it off that field alive, let alone be helicoptered alive and, and make it through mm. the surgery. They were so not even convinced that they fixed it, that they left my chest open for three days 
before they close me up, just in case they need to get in quickly again to fix it. So they induced me into a coma. I was in the coma for eight days. Uh, Once they were, after three days, they were convinced the heart was fixed. So they sewed that up and started fixing the rest of my body. I mean, my lungs were collapsed and, and spleen was lacerated. You know, I had 20 broken bones. So I was, I was kind of just destroyed. Uh, mm-hmm. My body just detonated on impact because I hit it so hard, hit that mm-hmm. building so hard. And from there, I kind of wake up from, from the coma. And because I blacked out uh, during the crash, I really didn't even know what was wrong with me when I woke up because mm-hmm. uh, I, I knew something was horribly wrong. The coma was a horrible place to be in those eight days because my mind was, was racing the old time. So it's like dream after dream after dream or nightmare more like, mm. and, and they're, they're all kind of similar theme where, you know, I was in really bad shape. I knew that in the dream and, uh, people were there and they refused to, to help me. They were just leaving me for dead. And it really, that made a decision. Like, did I believe that no one wanted to help me or care about me or, or want to fix me? Cause on the outside, everyone was fixing me, but you're, you're in your own sort of mind game within that coma. Mm. It, it becomes your reality because you don't have any other reality outside of that nightmare. You know, normally mm. in, a, in a normal life situation, you could wake up from it and shake off a nightmare as just that a nightmare. But when you can't wake up because you're in that coma, it is your reality. So you start believing all those negative thoughts and things given to you, you know, they're to me, they were trying to make me give up and say, uh, you know, cause no one would have known I gave up in that coma and just let myself die except me. And I was just like, after a while, you just get angry with all that negative self-talk almost not self-talk, but in, the, in those nightmares. And I was starting to fight back. I was kind of really low and started building myself back up. It's like every time I overcame one of those nightmares, I became stronger instead of weaker mm. um, until I just said, I'm ready to get out of this place. And, and I, I, I woke up and opened my eyes to a, a doctor leaning over me and, uh, saying you're lucky to be alive that's how i was woken up from from the coma wow well i thank you for that in that because you hear a lot of times people say well you know and then the person was fighting between death and life but it's hard to it's hard to touch it but i think you've done a great job at uh, explaining like how somehow your some part of your subconscious was there and and they're testing your limits in a way because so everybody's giving up on you and I, I know because my dad had also a life and death experience. And he says in the same state that you were, that he heard the doctor complaining because they called him at 3 a.m. in the morning and say, but you you wake me up to come fix cad- cadavers. Like he basically was starting the surgery knowing that there was no chance. And and my dad was half away asleep and say, if you want, I want. And he said, and he puts it like that limit that you just described, like, don't give up on me. Like, I'm still here. I might not be talking. But that means that you have a very strong will. And I know that in your book, you, of course, bring spirituality. Now, were you a very spiritual person up to that point? Did you have God in a way to kind of give you strength? Uh, share a little bit, if you will, about that that part. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I grew up in the church. So I already had, like I would say, the foundation of what allowed me to survive was built before I ever had to survive. People were put in my life and and, and God was put in my life to 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 guide me through it. So I unknowingly, I would say, like unknowingly was training for this trial or this, this accident to go through well before I ever did. I didn't realize that I was training for this upcoming accident or whatever was going to come. But luckily, I, 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 all the tools I used to survive 
were built well before that accident ever happened. So when I woke up from the accident, or I mean, even fighting through that coma, I kind of defaulted to things I knew how to do. And that brought me through all those tough times. I didn't have to try to imagine how to get through it. It was just all these lessons that had built up from childhood, from young adulthood to get me through those. So all those lessons were already there. So I would say like the, the, a strong foundation will guide you through the storm that you're living through right now. Uh, when you have built those lessons and, 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 and um, went through difficult times, you'll be prefa- prepared to go through difficult times. I'd say, you know, living through a difficult time only prepares you to get through more difficult times, right? Mm-hmm. If you go through one thing, does it, you know, tough, difficult things, thing in your life or got through it, that it, it doesn't mean you're not going to go through other things. It just prepares you. And, you know, as you go through other things after th- that difficult time, you're like, yeah, well, it's not so bad. I've been through worse. So, so, so yeah, faith was a huge part of recovery and battling through it for sure. But yeah, I, w- I was lucky I, I had all that before I ever got in the accident because I'm not sure where I would have been unless I learned and built that foundation of, you know, religion and, you know, long days in the mountains and all these other adventures, you know, got me through this uh, more difficult situation. It was kind of prepared me for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I always emphasize that because it's almost like we go to the gym, we go to university, like we prepare ourselves in so many fronts and many times that part of spirituality, call it whatever religion, whatever it is, not even has to be a religion, but the spiritual practice is such a, an important aspect of, I think, as human beings, what we need to go through because those are tools in your toolbox when they, because you are, I mean, an experienced skydiver. It's not like, oh, well, yeah, he did a jump and he went wrong. And like, it happens even with people think it cannot happen. Like I've done, like you drive a car every day. It can be the day that, you know, you get in a bar car accident. So you never know when, when we're going to call upon that toolbox to, to help us get through. Yeah. I always say when something goes wrong, the time to whatever your, you know, your spiritual relationship, I'm, I'm Christian, but the time when things, something goes wrong, is not the st- when you start that practice, it's like it works a lot better when you already have that relationship with God or your whatever your spiritual practice is before you ever go through it. You know, trying yes. to figure that on the fly. I didn't have to figure that out on the fly when something went wrong. I already had that and it was there for me when I needed it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's uh, very powerful. And I, I will add in my personal journey when I've had those tribulations that having had that tragedies happen sometimes is what has kept me going because I always feel like I don't want to be the person that only calls upon the faith or the whatever when something goes bad. Like you have to be even more active when something, when everything is good. And then, you know, appreciative of that because I mean, I'm sure that whatever else you were going through in your life seems so small compared to like this trial. Like these are the tests where you say, oh, and I'm complaining about my car being broken or these other things being broken. And then you face these kind of challenges and you realize, you know, that we complain about a lot of small stuff. Yeah. But it, it is, you know, a true test of faith at that point. It's like, you know, do I have faith that this, this happened for a reason? why would I crash in this building? And then why did I get to live? Right? Because they're telling me what, from the time I woke up, you shouldn't be alive. And you're like, well, there must be a reason mm-hmm. that I got yes. to live. And then what do you do with that? And that's the most important thing. You know, it, it's easy to have faith when everything is going right, but when everything is going wrong and you're like, well, 
why did all this happen? Why? And early, early on, even when I woke up, I was like, all this happened for a reason. There's no reason I should have lived and gone through all of this. It's like, I, I had to go through the toughest thing in my own life before I could understand how other people go through the toughest thing in their life to help them going through what they're going through, which I found out, you know, kind of in my journey, that was my purpose to help other people going through the toughest time in their life. Cause I couldn't have understood it unless I went through it myself, mm-hmm. uh, and come out of it. So, mm-hmm. um, that's, that's powerful. So finding calling through, through tragedy. And I know, so when, when, of course, in your book, you explain a lot of the, of the, your own tests that you had to go through, like doctors telling you, you're not going to walk or you're not going to do this. And so when you decide how long after, I mean, I don't want to mix between your recovery because it's a lot of what's on your book, like your, your, let's say learning points and things that you, you share now as a motivational speaker. And for anybody, I mean, your book, it's incredible, very inspirational. So by the time you decide to let, let me do something with this and I'm going to become a motivational speaker, what, what prompts you to, or how did you get started on writing your own book? Yeah. Well, at first I thought I was just going to go and, and speak to, to, you know, different audiences, whether it was church or youth groups and things like that, to talk about what I was going through. And I had no intention of writing a book because people would say, well, why don't you write a book about this? And, and I just, if it was just about me, I, I wasn't really interested in, in just talking about what happened. So I, I finish a, a speaking engagement and then a gentleman comes up to me afterwards and he says, you know, uh, my friend's going through opioid addiction. And, and, you know, I think some of the things that you talked about today could really help them in their recovery because they're in a really bad place. And they said, do you have anything that you could give me with your message uh, out there? And it was, this is the very beginning. I think it was like the second or third time that I that I spoke. And unfortunately, at that point, I said, I, you know, I don't really have anything. I don't, nothing's been recorded yet. This is only a third time I've done this. So, you know, I gave him my number. I, I offered I would go to that person's house if they wanted to. And, and apparently they wouldn't let you in the house, the, the addiction they were kind of going through. So I, I drove home that day. My whole point of speaking was to help other people. You know, if the message and the things I used to survive, if I couldn't pass it on to anything else, it was like what I went through was a waste. So. As I'm driving home, I was like, well, maybe I'm missing out on a lot of the people that I could potentially be helping if all I'm doing is speaking, because speaking is limited to only the people that might be there on that particular day. I said, well, if I wrote this down, I could have handed that guy a book and he, they could have had the same message to give to their friend and they could have read it in the time they wanted to when it was convenient or they were in the right mental space to be able to absorb maybe some of the message and they could go back whenever they wanted to read it. So at that point, I said, well, maybe the responsibility or maybe the focus speaking is one part, but but if I don't write it down, then then I'm missing the people I should be helping. So at that point, I went home and said, all right, well, I guess that means I have to write this story down. So, you know, within days, I just sat down and started writing it out. And and with 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 that message of of hope and and helping other people, because, yeah, now I had I I guess I had a greater reason to write it. And that was the reason I wrote it, because it was to help other people. It wasn't for me or glorifying what I did, because who cares about that? But helping other people is that, okay, now this is worth the effort of going through this and figuring this out. Mm -hmm. That's very, very powerful. And I know, you know, you've you've been on TV shows, you've been on many podcasts. And I think the title of your book is great. A Day Still Sunrise. It's, It's just gives you a little bit of the darkness to, you know, the light. What is it that you think is, uh, 
you know, like the the thing that you're most proud of? I know you give a little bit of like golden of wisdom or nuggets of wisdom and you say testing yourself is something I know. Like, mm-hmm. what do you say if you had to pinpoint a few of the things that really got you through it? What would you say they were? Well, to, to get through it, I would say one, not accepting people's predictions of, of what's going to happen to you. When I, was, when I was in the hospital, one, they didn't think I was going to live. And then early on when I'm in the rehab hospital, I realized they didn't ask me what my goals were before I got out of that hospital. And by the second or third day, I was like, well, maybe they made up goals of their own for me. And I said, well, my goal, and when, so my therapist walked in that following day, I said, you know, my goal is to walk out of here on the last day of this rehab. And they looked at me like with this crazy look, like walk. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, 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 yeah, I'm like, they're, you we're preparing you to go home in a wheelchair. I was like, okay. And I got quiet and said, I'll do whatever exercises they want me to do, but I'm walking out of here. They just don't know what's about to hit them because mm-hmm. they didn't know what I'm about, what the lengths I was willing to go to to walk out of there. And if I listened to them, I would have stayed in that wheelchair because I would have said, it's not possible. And I was finding every day a way to make it possible by not only doing whatever exercises they wanted me to do, but going back to my room and doing as many exercises as possible, things I would just make up. Then when I got, when when I was cleared to walk for the first time, the first question I asked the doctor, I was like, well, how much longer before I can run again? And the mm-hmm. doctor kind of didn't even know what to say to me. He just kind of took away his words out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, he said, run again. I said, yeah, well, what, 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 I'm assuming I'm going to run again. And they didn't realize I already had a, the goal of to do a race, a triathlon, because I had shared that with no one up until that point. Because I, I said I was going to triathlon a, a week after waking up from that coma. I just mm-hmm. kept up to myself and I said, this is the goal. And if I listened to that doctor, maybe I would never run again. But I was just like, no, that's not part of my plan. So really, people, I think, unknowingly say things to you. To me, I was completely motivated by the fact that they said I wouldn't do it. I was like, well, I'm going to show them what I can do. But, you know, there's there's so many outcomes that could occur in these accidents. These doctors see thousands of cases. And there's the the 1% that recovers, and maybe there's the 1% that never recovers, and there's lots of people in the middle. But don't let people tell you what your limits are. You have to go out and find out what your limits are. And the only way that to do that is to test yourself. And I think one of the one of the other huge things is is just finding a way to be a, get a little bit better each day. Because I was laying in that bed and I was completely broken. Ten weeks I couldn't move, and I, I'm just like you're starting to doubt yourself. You're like, how am I going to get better when I can't even move? Because I always feel better if I'm doing something towards solving a problem, which I felt like I couldn't do at that point. And then I was like, there's no way you're just going to jump out of bed one day. You're completely destroyed. And then I gave myself permission just to find a way to get a little bit better every day. And then that became something I was like, yeah, I could find something to do, even in this completely broken state and not be able to move, to get better each day. And that's going to create momentum. So when I eventually could start moving my legs and my arms and things like that, I was already going to be ahead of the game. So it really started with really mental training of revisiting journeys I had been on in the past and realizing you're going to start in one place and your goal is way off in the distance. And it was about little by little, week by week, finding a way to get better to eventually get to that goal. And that's when really things started to change when I said, okay, I could find a way. Or, or you know, the pain was ravaging my body. I was like, I need to find get this pain under control, not through drugs, but through my mind to start to get better because I realized that was going to hold me back. So when that night when I started to say, just find something each day to get a little bit better, 
you know, when you get, then you all of a sudden 30 days or 60 days or 90 days later, that little improvement you make every single day, even though it might be unnoticeable at the time, it adds up and compounds. And all of a sudden, 90 days later, you're like, look where I am now versus, you know, and it was only because you decided every day to find something to get slightly better. And I think testing yourself is important as well. Uh, one of the things I did when I got home from the hospital, I could barely walk. I was in cr- on crutches and my endurance was really low after being in that, that bed for three and a half months in the hospital. And so one day I go out, I walk this little loop or, tr- or, or, or trail just to see if I could do it. And, and it was further, way further than I ever had walked before. I didn't know what was going to happen. My pelvis, which was broken in, in multiple places and, and my, and my uh, leg was broken, it hurt unbelievably bad when I, and I was like, man, maybe I shouldn't have walked so far today. (laughs) Maybe that was a bad idea. But then that set in motion, the test every week. So then every week I would test myself under that same trail. So it it, all of a sudden it went from, you know, crutches to one crutch to a cane, to walking without a a crutch to then eventually running that path. And each time it it was a way of seeing what was my progress. There was a, there was a definite way of saying, well, I'm faster this week or I'm slower this week or, or where, where I am. And then you adjust what you're doing to meet your goal. Maybe those adjustments you made the last week didn't create a huge benefit or, you know, something you changed the week before made a huge difference. And maybe you need to keep on doing that. But when you're testing yourself, there's possible you're going to fail, right? It, it's you're going to get maybe you're going to get slower one week and that can get you depressed or that can say, okay, what I'm doing, I need to change it up a little bit or, or, but, but there, there it's, it's black and white. And that's what I liked about that clock that I would have on my wrist and that watch that either I'm faster or I'm not. It's, there's no lying. There's no, there's no, like, maybe I'm better. Maybe I'm not. It's like either you're better or you're not. And mm-hmm. let's go from here. So sometimes it doesn't feel great to fail, but failing can also provide you the ultimate success or ultimate way you need to go to get to where you want. And if you're not willing to fail, then you're less likely to get to the goal where you want to be. Mm. Wow, that's uh, that's uh, very inspirational. And I really think that uh, what you mentioned about the mental training and the importance of, you know, where your mind is at, I think that's where most people challenge, you know, that's the biggest challenge is when, when you hear somebody, you know, that says, well, I've had somebody in this podcast that has beaten cancer five times. And, uh, you know, when you hear him speak, it's pretty similar to what you're saying. It's like, yeah, I know this is against the odds, but, uh, you know, I've been doing this and that I've been answered the first time. And then, you know, and he learns, he learned to live with certain circumstances, but his mind has never given up or surrender. It's always like, well, I can beat this and I can go. And that way he's been testing himself and testing himself and thank God he's still doing good. So that uh, mental training is so critical. Any any advice on the book as to how do you train your mind to do that? Yeah, I, I would say luckily that that I I had been through you know training for triathlons and mountain climbing and all those things, and had been in situations where you know the results you know in mountains you know surviving nights sub zero temperatures without sleeping bags or tents or anything like that where you you're in this situation for the first time. And like I was in that accent for the first time, right? I, I didn't, I had no, no reference to go off. I had never been in the hospital before. I had never been broken like that before, but I'd been through hard things before that. So I, I kind of 
I was like, well, you overcame that difficult time before. So you can come, you're going to get through this difficult time now because there's some similarity of how you got through that last challenge, uh, even though it was completely different from this one to this one. So I, I think it's positivity or having a goal is incredibly important because I, I think one of the difficult things in terms of rehab was people would ask you how you're doing or how you are. And it's it so depends on the day, depends on you feel there. To me, there was no kind of black and white. And that's why early on, even waking after that coma, I knew how my brain worked. And I said, I need to set a goal that has a finite answer. Either you you pass or you fail. And and that's why I chose a triathlon because I did it before. And, and because choosing a triathlon as my goal was either you finish or you don't finish. You finish in the time limit or you don't. You know, it's a swim, bike, and a run. There's, there's no, you know, I wasn't looking for any special exceptions or special uh, for, for time, even though I'm hurt. I was just like, this is the goal. This is what I want to do. And that will mean my legs work, my upper body works, my heart works again. So it tested my entire body. And that's what I came up with. So I think having that ultimate goal is really important to strive for. So every, every day when I'm trying to get better, it wasn't getting better. And where was that going to leave me? It was like, everything is building towards this triathlon. That's why I'm going to get better today. And that would get me up because otherwise, if, if you're just like, well, I want, I want to move my wrist a little bit better than it was yesterday. It's like, well, how many days in a row is that going to work? Because what does that even mean? How do you measure that? But the triathlon was completely measurable. And that was made sense in my mind because you get an answer at the end. Either you failed yeah. or, you, or, or you didn't. And maybe yeah. you failed and it's like, we'll sign up for another triathlon and, and find, find out why you failed and, and get better, you know, get better so you can do it again. So I think having that measurement is really important. Otherwise, because I, I, I also say, well, how much rehab are you going to do or when do you stop? Because there's no, there's no one tells you like, oh, you're done with rehab or that you've done enough or things like that. It's like, I'm going to decide when rehab is done mm -hmm. and that's going to lead me to, to racing. Or I say, I'm still doing rehab, I guess, in, in some mental way, even though I'm not going to physical therapists, um, I'm always trying to get better. So I guess I was always doing some sort of therapy in my life. It was always a goal to get better, no matter what I was doing, um, mm -hmm. even outside I, of the I accident. That. Now, are you still jumping out of planes? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not. My family, so even when I was laying in that bed and not able, able to move, they would come to bed and say, because they know how my mind works. They're like, can you please not jump ever again? <laughs> and, you know, one of the things that with the accident is that there was a tremendous amount of guilt that I had to go through. And and really that 10 weeks after waking up from the coma was the toughest thing I, I had ever gone through mentally. Because you lay there, you can't move. I would say I had all these coping mechanisms that I used to use when I was stressed before. You'd go out for a run or, you know, you jump out of a plane a couple times on a Saturday. And it took away laying in that bed, all those coping mechanisms that I used to kind of avoid or get through life. And you had to lay there and think about your entire life. And I never thought about kind of the good things because there's lots of good things happen in my life. And, and, and there's lots of things I'm proud of in my life, but I never thought of any of that. All I thought of the things that I wasn't good at and the things I missed out on and the wish, the things I wish I did better before that accident and, uh, you know, things I was missing. And when you're laying there and you continually beating yourself up for those 10 weeks and like, it was really hard to go through because you're like, man, I, 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 I could have died and I would have left things 
I didn't say I loved you enough to people that I cared about. Maybe I didn't spend enough time because I was always going 100 miles an hour and, and missing out on important things in life that I wish I didn't. And, and luckily, I get that second chance to correct that. But one of the also things going back to really feeling the, the, the guilt was, was also that 10 weeks. And it, it went beyond that. But, you know, I'm laying there and my and luckily my parents were retired. They were and they live on the East Coast. They come out there and they were there every single day. Uh, the entire time I was in the hospital and afterwards as well. But I'm, I'm laying there. I'm just like, I'm here because I made the decision to jump out of that plane. They didn't make that decision. Mm-hmm. And I put them through and them and my, the you know, rest of my family and friends and things like that. Uh, something I can't even a hundred percent understand how much pain and uh, what I put them through, through that, that accident. Because it's my fault. You could say, well, the wind blew you and this and that. But but ultimately, I jumped out of the plane all those times. And I got hurt. And because I jumped out of the plane, I got hurt. You know, I can't imagine what it must have been like for my family to walk in for the first time and see me in that coma, wondering if I was going to live. Or what it must have felt like for them to to call my siblings and my family and tell them, you know, Jason's been in a horrible accident and he might not survive. <laughs> That's not a fun place to be, and and it was my fault. And I and, and they never put any of that on me. They said it's an accident. We understand that, but that doesn't take away the responsibility that I bear for for putting them through that. Mm-hmm. So that's um, I mean, that's sort of the downside, I guess, of of some of these adventures. That something can go wrong, but and there's that, lots of things that, that went right. Yeah. yeah, there's lots of things that have gone right over the years in adventures, and there's a lot of near misses that have happened over the years. <laughs> and and uh, but I'd say the the skydiving crash is the best thing has ever happened to me because it really allowed me to refocus my life. And, and I, I felt like I had really lost purpose before that accident. I was really working a lot of hours, uh, for lots of years on end. And, uh, I really wasn't happy. It's like that skydiving crash came at the, the, the right time, um, for me to live through that and then reassess my life and say, well, what's my purpose? What came out of this? What do you do with all of what happened? Cause you're lucky to be alive. You need to do something with this. And I was lucky to to live and 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 be able to help other people that are going through other th- tough tough times through their own lives. Well, Jason, I thank you because it's uh you know it's uh you've shared a lot of stuff that I I can tell it of course was a very difficult time for you and to have to relieve some of that some of that feelings it takes courage and I and I know that anybody I mean my own mom has just lived by terrible fractures of the fractures so I know I'm, I'll be telling her to listen to your episode because <laughs> there's so many people we know on a daily basis that have to deal with uh situations like that when they think they can come back from something and uh you are living an example that not only you can come back but as I think I get from you is like you can come back even better because then you come back with a different uh, outlook on life. So I always give my guests an opportunity. Is there anything that you're working on that you want to share besides your book, your speaking engagements, anything that uh, is exciting? I, I will share your webpage uh, with the audience and a place where they can buy your book. Anything else you want to share at this point? Yeah, one of the things that that uh, this year was great that I came back from was the uh, first time I was I was climbing mountains again. Doctors didn't bother predicting whether I'd be able to climb a mountain again. They didn't think I was going to be able to run. So I did that. And, and partially is that, you know, I, I have this own, this holiday I, I do every year called coming back to life day, where I celebrate that, that day I almost mm. died and really think about that day again and try to overcome something that someone said I wouldn't be able to do. 
And um, that was no different this year because it's the five-year anniversary. This coming week, I'm doing another triathlon. Start to, you know, decide to do that again to, uh, you know, Amazing. Um, my body's working well. And, and so I wanted to jump in. But besides that, coming up in the fall, some more book signings, some more speaking engagements. But I think it's the most important thing is having people understand that they are far stronger than they think they are. Oftentimes, we give other people credit for having strength or being able to do something that we can't do, when the reality is the lessons we have learned in life and the strength we have inside will bring you and get you through obstacles you couldn't possibly thought you would have gone through before. And, you know, sometimes these these unexpected things come in our life, these difficulties that really test us. And I think it's people need to give themselves credit. You are strong and it'll get you through that obstacle that you're that you're going through that oftentimes people don't give them themselves enough credit for. Mm, beautiful, beautiful. So I would take it. I mean, it might be repetitive because you say triathlon, but I also, I also love to ask anything else that you do to connect you to what makes you tick. Maybe when you were in that, in that bed that you couldn't do many of the things that makes you tick, obviously any other thing that gives you that strength, inner strength to keep going. Yeah, it's it's kind of, I always feel like I'm running out of time in life and there's always so many things to accomplish. And I, I think you have to, you have to, you know, um, be careful not to let things overcome your, or overtake your life. And, and you have to take uh, a look at what things are important in your life and make sure that you tend to those things that are most important in your life, whether it's your, you know, your family and your friends and, and um, your purpose of why you're on earth. But yeah, so it's 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 that constant. I feel like I'm running out of time. I better get going on whatever I need to accomplish and to do because it, you know, life. You're only going to be on Earth for so long, and um, you can't put things off. You have to keep on going. And so I guess that was just the philosophy of waking up. And uh, you know, I need to find a way to to get to where I want to be. And I'll probably never get to exactly where I want to be, but that's having those goals always ahead of you is what keeps on driving you forward to keep on doing those things every day that might be uncomfortable or might be difficult. People are going to tell you no when you try to go to a speaking engagement and try to book something and like, or, you know, or some, every single person might not pick up your book the first time when you kind of pitch them on what it's about, but it's about pushing past that because if you give up at first that, well, then maybe your purpose is never going to happen. Uh, or you're never going to be able to come to fruition. But it's like, no, just fuels you to more to find a yes um, to get to where you want to go. So when you have a purpose, it'll drive you to places that you wouldn't have gone to unless you had that purpose that you feel important that's going to drive your life and help other people. So I think having a purpose in life is makes you easy, easier to wake up in the morning. It helps you you know, overcome or go through things that you wouldn't ordinarily have gone through, but that purpose keeps driving you forward and hopefully that, you know, that purpose of, of helping other people going through difficult times really has, has pushed me to, to find new skills and new things that I didn't, wasn't sure I, I knew how to do before. And you keep on trying to figure out, I never had written a book before. I never marketed a book before. And those aren't skills in my background, but you know, you figure it out because you have a purpose to help other people. So, you know, Amazing. if you don't figure out, figure out those skills, you're not going to connect with people that you want to connect with to help them out. Hmm. Well, I, you are as inspirational as it gets, Jason. So I really compliment you, congratulate you for all you've done and uh, on your full recovery and the fact that you are 
you know, resuming your life or have resumed your life rather uh, as it was before. So definitely be on the lookout and a big supporter of your work. And we thank you so much for being in Back to Basics today, sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me on and let me, you know, uh, spread my message of hope. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you, everybody out there. And I hope you're as inspired as I am after this episode of Back to Basics. Until the next time. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Back to Basics. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. If you haven't yet, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming platforms. This is the best gift you can give us. Join me next week for another Back to Basics conversation. And if you want to find out about other exciting things I'm working on, visit LeticiaLatino.com. Thank you, and until the next time.